Hello and welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. Che. Hello, Josephine. How are you? Insert time period. Insert noise. (laughs) Insert screaming. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Dr. Che. How are you doing? Hey, Josephine, I'm doing well. It's been too much of an insert time period. Jay, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Dr. Jay. I use they as a pronoun. I got to give myself the job title Harbinger of Change because I work at ThoughtWorks, who are a bespoke software consultancy who allow you to do things like that. We're hiring. If you're some kind of underrepresented gender minority, hit me up and I'll link you up with our jobs list because hiring for a good company. I got to give myself a gender thanks to the New Zealand government. So I'm transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer. With all of that said, I'm a troublemaker. What a surprise and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. Josephine, despite knowing you for 15 years, would you care to introduce yourself? Hi, Dr. J. My name is Josephine Baird. I'm an activist, artist and scholar. I used to like to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage, but I haven't done that in a while. And I now like to try and make a spectacle of myself by drawing fabulous queer people and putting those pictures on the internet. I also am a lecturer at the University of Uppsala Department of Game Design, where I teach on game design. I also like to think of myself as a femme of international misery. Not misery. (laughs) That was Freudian. Very Freudian. (laughs) Oh dear, Josephine. (laughs) I have a psychology background. My first degree was in psychology. So every time I did that sort of thing, oh dear. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery, because that's funny to me, given that oh. it's been an insert time period, a period of time that has played on all of our insecurities, certainly on all of mine. Uh, this particular time period has had a huge impact on everyone's mental health. I know that I can see it around me. I can see it online for my friends, the dear people of the world. I've seen that everybody is struggling. But one of the things that it does to me is it really ratchets up the insecurity. And I know Jay and I have talked a little bit about this notion of imposter syndrome that can be so prevalent, not just for everybody, but I think in particular for queer communities and the kinds of things that we need to do in order to simply get by and also the kinds of work that we like to do with our own subjectivities the material and the art and the knowledge that we create around it can feel very much out of the norm and out of the ordinary and that can make us feel particularly like this so that's our topic for today imposter syndrome or if only i had cis white straight man confidence i would oh good which is start there jay if you had cis white (laughs) straight man confidence what would you do I think I'd be running my own startup. I'd be taking all of the crazy ideas that formulate in my head around art, artistry, performance, access, activism, all the digital stuff that I know. I'd be combining it all together into some amazing blend of startup because I would also have cis white straight men as friends who are probably working in the same kind of technology area. So the friends and family funding that people talk about would be a cinch and would raise more than about 30 quid. (laughs) Because that's how I kind of 
feel about it. And I know that I spun it backwards into a negative spin there, but I think that's the sort of thing that a brain like mine, a drive like mine, without all of the anxiety, without all of the gender stress that I've had, without all of the mental health stress, that's what I would be doing. And I know my life would not be perfect. And I know I would probably be a very different person, but having that confidence to just go and do stuff, because Josephine knows that I have that confidence to basically go, right, we're going to go to do this and just lead a group of people to go and create a festival or to go and run an event or to go and do stuff that people haven't thought of. But with just white straight man confidence, I think there wouldn't be a part of me going, should I really? Should I? Am I the right person to do this? Should I? Should I be speaking up now? I think this is one of these things where if you told it to anyone, including cis, white, het, male, identified people, they would say, oh, no, I know what that is, that imposter syndrome. Because it is somewhat universal, the sense of feeling like, oh, am I good enough? Is what I'm doing good enough? But there is something uniquely different to a person who's been told one way or another throughout their whole life or because of their subjectivity later on in life or whoever they are, that their opinions, their abilities, their knowledge, their very being is somewhat improper, not good enough. And that has a profound and unspoken impact that manifests itself in so many little ways every day that I don't think we even have words for it. Not really. We have imposter syndrome. We have that notion that we're not good enough. Yeah, I think most people would recognize that. But there are so many little ways that that manifests itself. And from a queer perspective, I think there are some unique ways that it manifests itself. For me personally, I find it really, really difficult. I'm dealing with it constantly and trying to convince myself that this is inferiority complex of some sort, that this is some sort of notion that has been given to me that is not valid, that does not actually account, let alone for reality, or even just generally for people in any capacity of life. I am really good at finding all the reasons why I am not supposed to be in the environments I'm in, or that I shouldn't be the authority speaking on something, or that I am working on a project at the moment at work, project that I find tremendously fascinating with people who are absolutely wonderful. And every time I walk into those meetings, I have to deal with that inner voice. And it's nothing they're doing because these people are super cool and they are very welcoming to all kinds of experience. That's part of the project itself. And it's acknowledged openly. We discussed it even. I've even brought it up because I felt safe enough to say I feel like a raging imposter in this environment. And yet I still do. And I know for a fact that part of the reason is because that's the message I get constantly, day to day, in lots of little ways from all sorts of environments in the culture that I live. That it's telling me this, the culture tells me this, all through these little different ways, that I'm not good enough, that I'm somewhat suspect. That The phrase imposter syndrome is particularly applicable when it comes to queer people, I think, because it's not just that you're not good enough at something. It's also that you're somewhat suspect, right? Mm -hmm. That you're an imposter specifically, 
that you shouldn't be here because this place is for someone who is more normative, more proper than you are. And so it sort of intersects with not just notions of like, oh, I'm not good enough at something. It's also me just being me makes me invalid to be here. So I know several good friends who talk about imposter syndrome and who talk about the way that they work through it. And they're both cis, white, straight women. So it's like just that one diversity away from that centralized norm of cis, white, straight man. And people are already feeling imposter syndrome. People are already feeling, should I be in the room? Should I be the one talking? Should I be the expert here? When they are patently the expert, when they are patently the one who should be talking, when they know this topic inside and out. And there is very much provably when people see a job list or something like that or go for a role or are applying for something or just see a list of these are the things you need to be able to do to do this job for people like myself for anyone of diversity we'll look at that list of 10 things and we'll say well I'm an expert on eight of them and I do the other two pretty well but there must be a better person than me who's able to step in Cis white straight man confidence says, well, I can do four of those. I've heard of the other six. I'm sure I can blag it. Let me go for it. And that's why we get Boris Johnson as our PM. Wow, that was a little journey you went on there, Jay, and I really love it. That was a small journey. No, but you were entirely right. Because it's provably true. Like the research, and this is the worst part of this. My fucking God. As an academic, as a scholar, I can factually point and say, so-and-so said this in 2019 or whatever research I could point it to you. I could even cite it using several different versions of citation rules. And I can provably tell you that this is absolutely the case. You are entirely right. There are several branches of research that will tell you that people will be chosen over other people purely on the basis of presumptions of who they are and the people who they then self-select. When you look, as you rightly say, here is this job advert. Well, I know they're, you know, maybe I'm not worth it because that's what you've been told over and over again. This is provably true. I know this. I have studied this. I have bits of paper that says that I have studied this to such a degree that other people thought it was worthy of note. And yet I will walk (laughs) into a room of people who I factually know want me there and recognize that expertise and still I will sit there and think over and over and over again ad nauseum I'm not good enough to be here my opinion is not worthy and this is how powerful this shit is because it's not just this top-down oppression that we talk about you know like that people will choose the cis white man 50% of the time over anybody else you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not 50%, that they'll choose them significantly. It's more than that. I can cite the numbers if you really want. I know you can because please, you're the one who, who, who sent me them in many ways and you've shown me them and I've seen you talk about this. That's how much I know you are an expert on this opinion. And I know that you could cite those figures. And yet you also sit there and know that there is an aspect of yourself which challenges you. And that this voice, this idea, this notion comes from a world that tells you that over and over again, constantly, in lots of obvious and not so obvious ways. And it's painful. And we could sit here in a weird way, you know, our uh, <laughs> our podcast is called It's Complicated. And this is a very complicated process, for sure. But oddly enough, I sit here and 
repeat myself again and realize that perhaps it isn't that complicated. The truth is that we're told this by our culture, by each other, even unconsciously. We don't realize we're doing it, but we do it. We're part of that system because, of course, we are. That's the world we live in. So, of course, we reproduce it until we become aware that we're doing it. We work really hard not to reproduce it for each other or ourselves. But it's there and it's unbelievably powerful. So what do we do about that? I have ideas. I'm working on some of them with this particular group that I've mentioned that I don't necessarily (laughs) think I should mention their names because I haven't asked them. But, you know, one of their goals is to combat things like this. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've started to combat it. And I won't mention the people or the place either, but I started to combat it a couple of years ago. I used to be terrified of establishment places and people couldn't understand why I was terrified of establishment places. They're like, you've got the thinking that they want, you're articulate, you've got all of the stuff. Why are you so nervous around these people? And I'm like, you just don't get it. So I started going, okay, fine. I will go into these spaces supported by some really lovely women who took me into very establishment spaces, got me involved in conversation, helped me control my nerves so I could communicate, helped me gain in confidence and sitting around board tables with CEOs and directors of companies and explaining to them what a non-binary gender is and why they need to care about it for their employees and not making them feel bad, but also feeling comfortable and confident talking about it and being all of those things. And still, I feel nervous going into those spaces, but I can now walk into there and go, no, I know that I can do this because I've done it before, but that's the only reason I can start doing it. And I think It's about starting to do it, but it's also about building up some allies or some accomplices to go along with and being vulnerable enough to say, I'd really like to go and do this, but I'm a little bit scared. Would you come along with me? I really need to go and talk to these people. Could you help me with this conversation? But that works for me because I was going into a space and I knew that I had knowledge that nobody else in that space had. That's been my way of conquering it, but it's still not conquered. Maybe that's more my way of working around it, of understanding what's going on inside my head and saying, how do I get you past this point? It's okay. You've been here before. You know that these people are going to terrify you ever so slightly for that first five minutes of this meeting. So what are we going to do in the first five minutes? It's going to make you feel really good. But it takes a lot. There was a really interesting cartoon that I saw of somebody basically building this wobbly structure of globes and ellipsoids and rectangles and all of that held together. And then they balance on the top of this platform and it's shaking all the way down. And somebody who's then standing on a solid step says, what took you so long to get here? And it's kind of almost somebody not recognizing the amount of effort that some of us put in just to get up to being able to walk in the door with a little bit of confidence. A lot of people walk in those doors with a little bit of confidence. And even if they have imposter syndrome, there's a lot more complicated imposter syndrome when your identity is always up for question. When your ability to walk in and be addressed by your name and by your pronoun is up for question. When you are needing to project confidence without arrogance. Because I fear. The moment I push off too much confidence, I come across as arrogant, which is therefore seen as 
assertive or aggressive, depending on how somebody sees me. And literally that was me walking in with a little bit of confidence and being able to state something clearly. You can state that very clearly because you know a great many things, including the data about how people who do the same things, depending on who they are, will be understood in different ways. So something being said by a cis white head man will be seen as assertive and confident, whereas same thing being said the same way by someone who is not a cis white head man will be seen as aggressive or overbearing. And you know that to be true. You know that these things are culturally coded in. So the multiple layers of the syndrome of this And in that sense, I think the word syndrome is actually probably accurate because the sense of it's a multiple layered experience of first of feeling inadequate, knowing that it's culturally caused, knowing that the cultural cause of that sense of inadequacy actually has a very real impact so that your response to that sense of feeling like an imposter or inadequacy needs to also be framed in the notion that the culture will be seeing your reaction in a certain way. That amount of effort before walking in the door when someone can just walk in and go, I'm great, (laughs) makes a significant difference to what we can bring to the table once we're both inside, so to speak. And you're right, the notion of being, even in our own community, queer enough, trans enough, the notion of an imposter syndrome can be applied to our very identities. And those notions are under attack constantly at the moment. You just need to look at the news. And unfortunately, especially in the UK and the US right now, the news is absolutely fucking terrifying if you're trans. And it is all focused on a notion of A, we are not what we say we are, and B, that's dangerous or invalid or both. And it's terrifying because it means that we start to question who we are and whether we are okay to be who we are and whether we are enough of what we are to be who we are. The number of trans people. I think it's all trans people, non-binary people, I've heard this say at some point, is that they've had this question of, am I enough of X to be X? Can I call myself trans? Am I enough trans to be trans? Am I enough non-binary to be non-binary? What does it mean to be this? And can I claim that subjectivity for myself? To which my answer is always, yes, you are. The second you say you are, you are. But I appreciate the insecurity And I appreciate the question because, unfortunately, this is the question you've been handed by so many aspects of your surroundings. And you're right, Jay, that takes a hell of a lot out of you because, yeah, taking all of that into any discussion, any meeting, any communication, any, God, any advocacy for yourself of any kind, no matter what the circumstances, it's exhausting. And that's before you've even applied your actual expertise, which is probably significant which is also work so you're doing three or four times the amount of work just to get the same thing out and yeah and we know why and it's a real thing and I think there's also that sense of I will almost over prepare or walk into the meeting having read all of the books and all of the articles and set a reputation for being able to consume a ridiculous amount of information over a weekend and come in knowledgeable on the thing that I'd not heard about on Friday and come in on Monday morning and ask very, very sensible questions that show a depth of understanding, not just of reading a bit of synthesizing and understanding the knowledge. God, I sound like a wanker when I say something like that. 
because but to me that was big but, upping myself. But do you though, Jay? That's the point. Do you really though? You've just expressed what, an experience. Sound like a wanker. Yeah. Do you? There's a part of my voice that says that I do, that I am, that in stating that experience, I'm coming across as arrogant. I'm coming across as like, I'm so good. I'm so great. La, la, la. But what you actually said, if you don't mind me reflecting back, what you said was, I've spent the entire weekend studying up on a concept that I heard on Friday so that on Monday I can come in and give really good questions to something because I feel so nervous that if I don't do that, I will somehow be excluded or considered inappropriate or not good enough to be there. Because that's what I heard. But your internal voice said, oh my God, I've just said this thing that's super arrogant. Because I've said that I can learn stuff quickly because I've had to. Yeah. You Like anyone who's experienced a difficult circumstance in order to survive, you created a mechanism in order to get by, to mask what you fear is something that would be seen as problematic or inadequate or inappropriate or just wrong. You've learned to mask that with learning a new competency. Now, that competency takes tremendous energy out of your weekend. You just said, I use my weekend to do this. I learned very quickly. Yes, you did. Something another person didn't have to do. Now, that is a competency you have. I don't think you're bragging. What you're actually saying is, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to spend my whole weekend doing this? And I could just walk in like everyone else seems to be able to do quite easily with some understanding of the topic because I'm a clever person and I do this job but not having felt so nervous as to have spent the two days off that I should be relaxing, doing other things, doing this instead. But the society that you have not only tells you that you have to do that in order to be competent and appear to be proper, but to suggest that that somehow gives you some sort of skill would be arrogant. And my God, how fucked up is this world? Jesus Christ. I know. Seriously, isn't that messed up? When you reflect on these things like that. Yeah. Sucks, right? That's one of the things that I think genuinely does help is regularly reflecting on these things in a good way, in a positive way. Hence the group that I mentioned. I feel really good that they have brought this up and not just with me, but also shared their own experience of this because it makes me feel like I can, that you can reflect on this. And now I can reflect on it with my dear Jay. I can talk about this as well. We can talk about common experiences in a fun way we can laugh about it a little we can go jesus that's messed up and have a moment of realization that this is messed up so that when we do experience it again and we shall because tomorrow is another day and i have no doubt that i will walk in a meeting tomorrow and have exactly this experience again but i will remember this conversation and i will have this podcast which i can play to remind myself that hey this is a reasonable response to the lessons you've gotten from the culture you live in That's understandable. Try and remember that conversation and try and implement as much as possible some of the things that you can do to make the environment a little safer and a little easier for yourself, but also for other people. To be really aware, yes, I am in a culture that doesn't necessarily allow for this kinds of insecurities, but I can make little spaces and little pockets of places in that environment that do allow for that. And that those places will be significantly better for everyone in it. And I do genuinely believe if you make spaces like that, the quality of the things that you will make in those spaces will be infinitely better. 
And they will be better because you'll have less energy going towards imposter syndrome. You'll feel more confident and more capable in those environments. And you'll be able to make fabulous queer things happen. Like say, oh, I don't know, a podcast where we talk about. Yeah, complicated things. I think that's really good. And I think that's one of the things that I do at work and I'm now known for at work of creating spaces where people feel confident to try stuff, where people feel that they can talk about their feelings. They can talk about what's going on inside their head and it's not just the members of my close team it's the members of the wider team who can come into that space and feel that it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to talk about these things without somebody saying you shouldn't or I'd expect more or something like that you can quite happily talk about these things and go this makes me scared I'm nervous about doing this I'm worried about doing this. Yeah. And if we can encourage those around us to be aware of that, that is a really good thing and an exceptional skill to have. And weirdly enough, I might suggest that this is a skill that you have because you've gone through that process, Jay. A competency you might not have had otherwise, so much so that perhaps I could suggest that you're not an imposter and you are indeed very good at this and it is okay to recognize that. And honestly, I'm really glad to know that you're good at this because on those occasions when I really need to talk to someone about this, I know I can call you up. And I know that the competency that you have because you are able to have that conversation will allow for a genuine discussion of these issues and the possibility of creating a space like that. And I think that is a tremendous skill to have and a tremendous competency and one you can't fake. No, you can't. It's about making people feel safe and cared for in an environment that isn't. When I talk about my imposter syndrome, there are layers on layers on layers of it that some of the other team members might not have. But acknowledging that everybody on the team is having those same thoughts inside their head when they're presenting, when they're trying to talk about things, when they're trying to get their head around new things when they're in spaces that don't quite feel comfortable. And it's my comfort with discomfort that allows people to talk about that discomfort. Yeah. Perhaps. I think so. And you added that little perhaps in there just to give it that little, <laughs> yeah, Jay, I know, I know, I know. Sorry. I had to reflect that back at you. <laughs> I can't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> It's like a verbal tick. It's like that constant inability to toast your own success almost. It's a habit that I learned to undo a bit in my writing. Because when I was doing a lot of, especially academic writing, a while ago when I was giving my first crack at this whole scholarly business, I would write things like, perhaps this is the case. Or it could be that this is the case. And the response I got, okay, you don't have to state it arrogantly. You don't have to say, I know that the universe is pear-shaped because of me being excellent. But you can say with certain certainty that if you've read something and if you've studied something and your opinion is this, could you just take that perhaps and leave it at home? Just for now, <laughs> just for now, just work on not saying the perhaps bit. Just try. It's really hard 
I've genuinely had to go through, write my paper or whatever it is, and then go back and take out the perhaps and maybe, and it could be this. And well, in one version of reality, it might be said that this is the case by me now and again. Sorry, I should shut up now. (laughs) Right. And my God, when I was performing many, many years ago, it was a very an emotional event. It was an, an event, literally a wake for a dear friend who had passed away. And the people who knew this person were all performers and artists. And it was one of the most joyous occasions for a sad experience I've ever been to, where people were trying to express themselves artistically. And I was feeling very nervous and I was like, okay, I, I, I want to do this too. We were in an auditorium. We were in a theater. This is where we were doing this wake. And I sort of said, okay, I'll go on the stage and do my thing. And I did this improv dance to a piece of music. I don't remember the piece of music. And I came off stage and a friend that we'd had in common with the person who had passed, a person who knew this friend of mine extremely well, someone who was also quite a noted member of our community, came up to me really angry and I was nervous I was like oh my god what have I done what have I done I've insulted everyone with this thing I just tried to do maybe I said the wrong thing what did I do oh my god and I was you know (laughs) grieving and upset and physically tired from dancing and they came up and they said you need to stop apologizing before you perform you need to stop doing that now and they were angry with me (laughs) And they were like, you need to stop doing that. And I was like, did I do that? And they said, yes, you came up and you said, sorry. And then you did. Your thing. <laughs> and I need you to stop doing that now because you do it a lot. And I was like, I had no idea that I'd done that. I had no idea I, would, I did that. I didn't know that was a habit of mine. And I'll never forget. That moment. <laughs> I'm tearing up a little bit thinking about it. I'll never forget that moment. And it's so important. And it's one of the things I remember telling performers who were starting up. And I remember trying to tell myself this every single day. (laughs) Stop apologizing before you do something. So one of the things that I do, and this might help you, dear listener, is when you're going out to give that talk or you're going out to meet that person or you're having that meeting, you're about to say something in a discussion, take a breath, that breath you would have exhaled and apologized with and breathe out, skip it, and then say whatever it is you're going to say. You can even say it internally if you must, but it's weird. That little moment actually gives you a sense of gravitas. <laughs> and I noticed it, does. It, I noticed it when I started performing, <laughs> that, that taking that 15 seconds at the front of going, hello, everyone. <laughs> Suddenly, like <laughs> They were like, oh, silence, this must be important. And actually, it's me <laughs> trying desperately hard not to say, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. It's not any good. I'm going to go away. Bye. <laughs> so there's yeah. a, a tip for you. Which is a good tip, yeah. which is a really good tip. You know how difficult it is to get me to stand on stage when people are clapping me. I remember with some of the group performances that we've done, I've literally had to have a person on either arm to stop me from running away when people are applauding what I did or talk about what I did or something I always design all of my performances so that I exit before the finale so that the finale is me walking off not me staying on stage and I find it incredibly difficult to be there and to be celebrated and I think that's part of this imposter syndrome is that inability to feel 
okay in that moment of celebration for your competency, for your artistry, for what you've said, what you've done, for what you've brought to the room. It's very hard to stay there. I've had several conversations of that recently where actually one of the things that has been suggested as a genuine action item in different meetings has been, can we celebrate our successes a little bit? It doesn't have to be a huge thing, just something. And I think it's really important. One of the biggest productions I ever did, in fact, I think probably, yes, the very biggest production I ever did, certainly the one that had the most money behind it, I was kind of impressed that we all still had to practice the curtain call. This was a stage production with a lot of very well-established actors, a lot of very well-established performers, people who are used to doing this. This is what they do with their lives. This is their careers. It's not just a thing they're doing now and again. And we still had to practice. And I thought, well, okay, this is just to get us all together and to figure out what we're doing. It's like, no, I I noticed for some of them, it was still this like, okay, let's make sure we know what we're doing because otherwise I'm just going to run away or I'm just not going <laughs> to do this at all or I'm just going to feel weird and I'm just going to come on like awkwardly go, hi, and then fuck off again. <laughs> you know, it's spectacularly common. Thank you, dear listener. And thank you to those people who've been so kind as to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word. We're going to put up a new video very soon, Jay and I, because we realized that the old one actually doesn't cover all the new stuff. And also it doesn't talk about who the money goes to, because at the moment, what we're trying to do is invite fabulous queer people who've got great things to say on to talk about themselves, their opinions and their competencies. And we'd like to pay them for their time. So your money that you're sharing with us will go towards that. And we really appreciate it because it helps us make fabulous queer things happen. So please do join us if you haven't and if you can. And if you can't or you don't feel like it, please continue to listen to us here every week. And next Monday, we might want to talk about the confidence of Keanu Reeves. It is breathtaking. It, like all of Keanu Reeves, is breathtaking. His act of confidence always feels like something to admire and something to attain to. If only I could walk in as confident as Keanu Reeves in this role. Oh, good. If only I could walk in with that level of kind of quiet confidence. It's not arrogance. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm a bit dorky. I'm a bit shy. I'm a bit of stoner. I'm like, oh, my God, to have that confidence as a weird teenager at school. To have that confidence to do something like that is amazing. And it's kind of like quietly, I'm me and that's okay. Can I tell one very quick story of someone who I came across on a weird London morning who embodied exactly that? One of the things that I used to do was I would skate on my inline skates all over London. One of the reasons was because I couldn't afford to use the public transport all the time. I was just dirt poor. And the other thing was that I really liked to have the freedom of getting around. And, you know, public transport can be a bit scary if you're different. But also there are some absolutely beautiful ways to get around the city if you're able to skate the way I was. So one morning I'm skating along the south bank of the Thames. Now, the previous night I had gone to see a performance where the performance itself was absolutely stellar, but very, very odd. And it involved me holding one of the performers cradled in my arms in the front row at one point because they were being handed to me by one of the other performers. It was a very strange evening and absolutely fabulous. It ended, however, in meeting Boy George at one point. Very strange moment that I'm not entirely sure was positive, but there it was. So the night before had been very odd. And I was skating along the next morning, still kind of reeling from the evening before. Beautiful sunny day. And I'm skating along. 
and someone is walking in the opposite direction. And I'm looking at this person. I, I know who you are. I'm, I'm convinced where have we met? Is it school? Is it at work? Is it, do you live in my building? And I'm just skating along and I'm looking at this person now and they're getting closer and I'm still, I cannot place them. They're in this crumpled suit. They look like they've just walked out of some bar. It's nine in the morning. So maybe they have, it's London. What do I know? And I'm getting closer and I'm still like, no, I know you. I know who you are. And my expression must be like, who are you? And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I know who you are. You're David Bowie. <laughs> and my expression must have registered, gone from like, who are you? To, oh, you're David Bowie. And he's <laughs> looking directly at me, <laughs> walking the other way. No one's paying any attention. He's got his hands in his pocket, just strolling along in this kind of crumpled suit and like, you know, white shirt, unbuttoned collar. And he looks at me, tilts his head, and I shit you not, I swear to God, the expression was only, there's only one phrase for the expression he gave me, and it was this. So my expression says, you're David Bowie, and his expression goes, yeah, I am. Because I shit you not, he literally tilted his head and sort of nodded. (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) okay, and skated past him, and that was it. (laughs) That was my meeting with David Bowie. And that's the confidence that I want. Yeah, that's the kind of confidence I want. This calm, completely calm exposure, this really weird, because I'm trying to think of it from his perspective, this straight queer who's like skating along going, who are you, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) And then I realized where I was, I was at the South Bank Centre, which is exactly the the place I'd been to the night before. And the event was the meltdown, which was run by David Bowie. Of course, he was still there. He was literally coming out of the club that I had just left nine hours before. And he was coming out now. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Maybe everyone can think of that. The person you, you think of embodies your confidence the most. And for me, it's that moment. Almost running into David Bowie on my skates. I kind of like that Keanu Reeves. This is me and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of like that quiet confidence of, yep, and that's okay. And that's okay. Dr. Jane, that's you and you're Okay. And this is Josephine and I'm okay saying you're you and it's okay. Thanks for listening this week, everyone. See you next week. Mm